0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and Commodity Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research Team.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 10th episode of Credit Crunch under the FIC Focus uh, podcast umbrella. Uh, this is Mahesh Bhimalingam, uh, Chief European Credit Strategist at uh, Bloomberg Intelligence. And I'm joined by Noel Hibbert, Director of FICC Strategy and U.S. Credit Strategist for this episode. For our regular followers, uh, you, you might recall that two episodes back we had this uh, banking crisis uh, episode and we'll try to like an, give an updated view on where we are, particularly in terms of the crisis aftermath, uh, given the substantial rally that followed it, uh, where credit is, and particularly divergence in uh, U.S. and Europe in certain aspects uh, that we've seen. So, welcome, Noel.
0: Hey, yeah, but well, it's, uh, it's been such a long time since I've been here. It's uh, <laughs> it's great. Oh to yeah, we that. are recording. <laughs>
1: we are recording from the London office. Uh, Noel is in uh, is in town, so we thought we'll put it to good use.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, the sound quality will certainly be better.
1: Exactly. So, the I think post credit Swiss uh, in Europe. Uh, if we look at where the banking. Uh, you know, provisions are, bad loan numbers are, they all haven't gone up. It's all plateaued. Uh, It looks like potentially a lid has been put on, uh, you know, banking crisis aftermath in Europe. But in the US, we still seem to be getting some rumbles, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in some regional banks. Uh, From the last time we spoke, uh, we've seen some more headlines. So any take on... Is this over or do you see any more <laughs> dominoes fall?
0: Well, I think the best way to answer that would maybe be go back to and just take the clip of how I answered that the last time, right? Which is, I don't think it's over. Um, you know, right now, you, you still, still kind of a little bit concentrated on the West Coast. So PacWest is sort of one of the names that's been in the headlines. They were just able to sort of sell off a portion of their portfolio, which bought a little bit of short-term optimism. But if we're in this regime, which over the last handful of days, the market seems to be reckoning a little bit with where the Fed is maybe going to be higher for longer, and you may be actually looking at 2024 for rate cuts, which for what it's worth has sort of been the base case for for a lot of the folks on our team, uh, that could be you know continuously problematic for some of these players. And those issues still aren't going away, right? Which is to say, You've still got a, a loan book that's sort of dependent on very low-cost deposit base, which is increasingly just sort of ebbing away, ebbing away. And then you've got the secondary dynamic in play, which you know maybe the other shoe that people are sort of watching for, which is to say when the debt ceiling dynamic, and maybe this is something for later, but when the debt ceiling dynamic finally plays out, assuming there's some sort of resolution, uh, and the Treasury gets back to issuing a ton of Treasuries, that then is going to be a secondary uh, liquidity drain on the banking system so I, I think it's still premature to say yep all clear uh so i would say this is actually going to probably be with us for a little while to come
1: on the deposits uh story you know we saw a big drop due to you know deposits going to uh, money market funds in the u.s but then that they started recovering and Quite, quite a few of the sort of blue chip banks have made a truckload of money because of the, the, de- <laughs> because <laughs> because of the, the deposit versus loan spread, right? I mean, yeah. uh, how is that coming along? Are you still seeing, uh, you know, in the recent times, are you still seeing any deposit flight to money market funds or... Is this, has it stabilized?
0: So I, uh, so the answer is, uh, maybe, I, I think it really just depends on, on who you're talking about. Right. So I think, you know, in the early wake, so in the immediate March aftermath, um, you know, you obviously had the most extreme flight. It stabilized for a little bit. You actually saw a little bit of recovery, but then you actually, depending on the bank, you did get a little bit of a reversal there. And again, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, a company like a, a PackWest, who I already aforementioned, but, um. Like one of the things that sort of catalyzed their new down leg was they were talking about sort of troubles on the deposit side once again. And I think, you know, in the U.S., because there's so much of it is sort of a retail investor base. Right. The story seeps out slowly. Right. It's Silicon Valley Bank was sort of a special situation because so much of their client base was institutional. So when it happened, it happened fast. Uh, but the story is slowly seeping out to retail. It's kind of like when you get your quarterly report, right? You tend to get some some sort of choppy activity around like asset classes like muni's or other sort of retail-centric type stuff. Um, I would suspect that you know again, as retail slowly ingests this story, which probably takes us through you know the next few months at least. There's just going to be this steady pressure. Uh, that's just going to be in the background that certainly probably keeps a cap on what kind of recovery we get. And in worst case, also sort of puts a maybe continued downward pressure.
1: Yeah, this is so much in contrast with Europe where uh, the particularly the sort of established banks have more or less a free ride because there is no uh, liquid, large, uh, easily accessible money market fund product. So the banks more or less have a free rate on the deposit versus loan spread. And they've given regulation, what they've done is they've tightened who they lend to so severely that uh, anything sort of not uh, deemed like, you know, like A-grade borrower are not getting loans. So the loans that they are uh, giving out are only to like, uh you know really high quality borrowers and as as a result because of credit denial to uh, borrowers you're seeing the bad loan and provision numbers stay very low in europe unlike you guys where you have a choice
0: (laughs) well yeah and we'll see sort of how the the bad loan piece of it evolves a little bit but i think um you know one of the you know the really interesting pieces i think uh as we move forward because as you mentioned like you know europe's sort of got this sort of a uh, contained or space but I mean I guess I maybe one question I would ask there is is you know the retail base is how much of it is is it as a portion of the overall deposit base or is it more institutional
1: uh, in terms of deposits with the big banks yeah uh, I think it is still quite heavily uh, retail oh, okay, yeah. so in institutional i mean given uh, given the way it works in terms of uh, when you say institutional are we talking corporates or are we talking uh, you know asset managers and financial investors i think the financial investor side is heavily into uh, you know fixed income uh, because of re- regulation uh, corporates might have some some deposits uh, but in general the the what do you call the the credit impulse uh, in europe uh, is not great because the banks are not lending yeah. And the ECB is in tightening mode. Uh, not just we'll come to the corporate side, but in in general, given that they are they've started, you know, removing the uh, TLTROS, ah, uh, rates are higher. Uh, the all the liquidity ratios, et cetera, that they need to maintain are very high, which means banks are denying credit yeah. flow.
0: And and I think we're seeing incremental parts of that. And like you said, we'll talk about corporates in a second. But I think. You know, you you are from the small business standpoint. You're seeing you know declining optimism on the consumer side. You're seeing weakening optimism, and you're also seeing obviously increased revolving loan usage, which is credit cards and whatnot. So you can see certainly a, a tightening credit picture, uh, and so we'll and you also hear about it in terms of big asset purchases, whether you're talking mortgages or cars or whatever else. So I, I think that's that's a story again. That's early innings, at least on the U.S. side of the fence, just hmm. because. Uh, you know, it takes a while for that to flow through. And, and obviously the banks are, are I suspect, going to be in sort of a hibernation mode or, or sort of a, a defensive posture for a little bit. So
1: if we look at uh, lending standards in the U.S., uh, this th- that seems to what have Well, yeah, the, the Fed <laughs> loan officer survey, that seems to have tightened quite a bit to near record as well. I mean, Europe yeah. is bad. Europe is also significantly tighter in terms of lending standards. The U.S. Uh, also seems to have gone down that way. Is it because of the crisis or even otherwise?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think a big part of it is the deposit flight, right? Because I yep. think uh, for years, uh, you know, for the better part of a decade, right? I mean, deposits would just dump in. they are basically zero costs. And so the, the problem was almost like you just, you couldn't lend money out fast enough. Yep. Uh, and now they're sort of stuck with the opposite equation. So so I think, again, it, it's sort of you know, even sort of your mid-sized players are sort of like, let's wait this out a little bit. Let's have a look uh, in terms of see how this evolves and see if there is another shoe that drops or there's another leg down in terms of liquidity. So I don't think anybody wants to sort of get caught out on the branch for being a little too brave here, which is, you know, the nature of most crises, right? Everybody sort of gets exacerbated because even the people that are able to lend maybe get a little bit more defensive in terms of how they approach the Mm. market. Mm.
1: So how has uh, bank credit done relative to rest of credit? Uh, has it, you it's know, it blew up. <laughs> it, blew, it blew, up, and uh, how is it looking relative to uh, rest of credit in the U.S.?
0: Well, I mean, we're still pretty wide, um, but I mean, again, it, it's it's sort of been staged out. So we got the the initial blowout, uh, then we got a pretty aggressive rally, but not like crazy. You know, it didn't exactly rally all the way back. Uh, Then we got another leg out as sort of the regional bank stuff sort of reemerged, call it a couple of weeks ago. Um, But again, it's sort of settling in here. Uh, And if you look at the most recent weeks, right, it's kind of actually held in better uh, in large part and sort of outperformed both from a spread and a total return standpoint, because I think the big concern over the last couple of weeks as it's sort of the attention has pivoted to the Fed uh, and monetary policy has been really around the duration mechanic, right? So Mm. people have started selling duration again. Which, you know, given that uh, much of the financial landscape is the big, very well capitalized global banks, right, in the U.S., um, you know, that's led to a little bit of a bid in there just because you're talking about a five-year duration versus an eight-year duration.
1: Hmm. In, you, in Europe, though, uh, what we've seen is uh, given that in the credit story, senior was proved to be money good, uh, there is a, quite a stupendous uh, rally in the senior part of the capital structure. And uh, right now, if you look at whether it's bonds or in uh, CDS, we are probably about, you know, on average on CDS, about five basis points wider than the usual gap between FINS Mm -hmm. and non-FINS. In cash, it's probably about 10. So it has come back from about 30. So quite a bit of that uh, upheaval has been covered up.
0: Uh, so, and do you still feel, I think when we talked a couple of weeks ago, one of your points of view is that, and, and I hold the same thing for the U.S., which is that it'll recover, but it won't make it all the way back. Because no. there still be this no. lingering things. So, do you think that 5% five uh, basis in CDS, points. Or, excuse me, 5 basis points in, yeah. in CDS and 10 in, in cash, is that sort of as far as we go? Or is there still a little bit? Probably,
1: more? like, you know, I think we mentioned in the last uh, podcast, the Fin senior versus ITRAX differential used to be very, very tight range, 9 to 10 basis points for like 5 months, 6 months in a row until this crisis. The 9 to 10 blew up to 30. It came down to about 12, 12 13. And then thanks to the US news, some of the regional bank news recently, it's gone up to 15. So I don't see it keep coming down below 13. It's going to be very difficult. You need that premium because yeah. things are not the same as before right yeah
0: uh, well and then you get the re I don't know about the you know about the European side but in the us obviously renewed sort of recession talk and then you yeah so then you're layering the loan quality issues on top of uh, the rates driven related issues and whether you're talking about the hold of maturity portfolio or whatever else
1: yeah here the the thing is uh, in Europe that should be a bigger worry because all mortgages here are floating rate. Right. So unlike you guys, where uh, most of the market is fixed rate and as a result, you would think that the borrower would survive this high yield environment better. But here that is not the case. Almost all mortgages are uh, floating rate, I mean, depending on which country. Uh, So that should have some impact. So moving on the central bank. So, I mean, what's your view on U.S. recession uh, for the rest of the year? (laughs) I mean, that probability yeah, is swinging, I mean, right, as we keep... Well, I mean, listen,
0: I think, I, I think yeah, I mean, and it, and it always will, right? Because I think, uh, you know, when people are sort of on tenterhooks and you have people that are sort of well camped out in terms of on the beer side saying, hey, listen, everything needs to reprice, we're heading into recession, right? So every bad data print ends up being a, okay, here we are, we're going into recession, we're finally going into recession. And conversely, you know, uh, on the other side of the fence, you've got people that are, sort of going, well, maybe this is going to be a soft landing. And so every positive data print gets pointed to uh, in the other direction. I, you know, I guess, well, one, I I think my base case is that we do sort of see a recession and then it's, I don't know if it's sort of conventional thinking or not, because I don't tend to read a lot of other people's research because we don't have access to it here at FDI, uh not least of all, but. But I think one of the things is, is when I look at um, what rates will ultimately do, and I think it's been choppy in terms of what's happening in the housing market right now, but what they will ultimately do to the housing market, which will lead to contraction in prices in real terms, number one, and then overall activity volumes and how important housing is to the broader economy. So I think between that uh, and some of the things that you're starting to see on the consumer side as they kind of have, you know, the negative real wage growth that sort of persisted for a while. I do think those dynamics do ultimately feed into at least a consumer recession, right? Mm. Um, Whether that's a headline recession, who knows? Um, But a consumer recession, I think, is enough for me to sort of go, okay, I'm I'm still worried about, in particular, high yield. Uh, And then if you sort of, again, layer on top of that, maybe a Fed that's going to have to be fighting this inflation mechanic a little bit longer than maybe the market was anticipating just a couple of weeks back. You know, I think that ends up being a sort of problematic landscape for corporates overall. So, uh, you know, and then it's sort of like, what size of a recession do you have? Uh, and, and there I'm a little bit less concerned um, because I, I don't think, at least from a credit market standpoint, the magnitude of the recession generally only tends to, to influence the duration of the correction Right in there, you actually want a worse recession because then everybody just big baths and gets dumped out all at the same time. And then you can quickly recover, whereas a mild recession, which seems to be where consensus is right now, uh, historically in the U.S. have been more problematic because then you just have like this slow sort of decay that rolls its way through the economy. And so you don't, you know, you're never recovering because you've got one sector, then another sector, then another sector that are just sort of, you know, beating yeah. on confidence. That's called welcome to Europe. M- <laughs> muddle through muddle through. Exactly.
1: I mean, we've been in this muddle through where there is not much growth. It it sort of keeps skirting recession whenever there is some sort of European weakness. I mean, we've been in this zone for a long time. If but similarly, right now, given that we guys haven't had the significant uptick as you guys saw, the probability of recession in Europe is a significantly lower, by the way, about thirty percent. Uh, lower in terms of chance is because we haven't had the upswing Two, the ECB is well behind the Fed in terms of tightening. Why? Because financial conditions are already tight. As we've just discussed that, you know, the credit impulse is negative. uh, Banks are not lending. uh, And as a result, should the, should the ECB go at full throttle as the Fed? Probably not because the financial conditions are so tight. Lending standards are so tight. That's doing the job uh for the ECB so my opinion the Europe will still muddle through we might actually skirt a recession at a with a much higher probability than you guys
0: so but I mean I guess uh, maybe coming back to I guess how I look at the US which is to say that it, it doesn't have to be a recession so long as it feels like a recession right yes um and I think you know people put a lot on that you know how do you feel about markets Is it dependent? Is there sort of a real big inflection that happens if it just feels like a recession, but isn't an actual recession? That's as much as I can say recession in a single sentence.
1: (laughs) Now, I think one thing uh, that differentiates Europe from the US on this uh, central bank recession and macroeconomic story is the ECB is a massive presence in uh, the European credit markets. They haven't been reinvesting about half of the redemptions uh, since March, and that will continue until the end of June. That, I think, is well President. not much of a problem. It's about one and a quarter billion a month. Fine. The problem starts from July. They've already announced that they're not going to reinvest any redemptions, which means we are talking about, you know, about 14-ish billion uh, in the last six months of this year, more than two billion a month. In some months, by the way, it is more than three billion. Uh, so effectively, you got a pretty massive uh, buying void uh, at this time. Now, will that be filled in by private investors? I mean, we are going to discuss that soon. Um, I strongly believe that in this sort of muddle through environment, credit does very well. Uh, you, you don't want to be in equity. You definitely don't want to be in rates. Given... <laughs> well, right
0: now, everybody wants to be in equity as long as it's got uh, technology in its name. Yeah. Uh, hasn't the trade passed, though? I mean, me uh, it, personally... well, at the beginning of the year, it felt like it passed. But I mean, in the last, I mean, I think the all the AI related stuff has really sort of in, reinvigorated that sector. True. Right. So um, and it's, it's kind of like uh, you and I are both old enough to sort of been around for the dot com thing where like everybody just slapped the dot com on their name, regardless of what they did, because it gave them an immediately 10 or 20 X on top of their multiple. Uh, You know, it feels like we're not that far off of sort of where the excitement's going with this space. But, um, you know, I guess we've got probably a little while to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah. So that brings us to, you know, we did mention uh, rates. I mean, do you do you really see the U.S. Treasury uh, you know, further going up and that impacting credit. I mean, I know the pace of change in rates influences the credit valuations. Mm-hmm. So what's your take on that for the remainder of the year in the U.S.?
0: Well, so, I mean, what I would say is so our rate strategist, our jersey, as you know, sort of has a, a view of sort of a, a bull steepener sort of ultimately playing out with, you know, front end coming down, etc. Um And I don't necessarily disagree with, the sentiment, but more the magnitude is sort of where I've sat uh, for the better part of. And, the that assumes,
1: and that assumes and that assumes there is a re- decent recession chance. Uh,
0: yeah. 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 I mean, like, I well, again, you know, consensus right now and I've seen sort of some people starting to push their view out into 2024, et cetera. But if you look at sort of ECFC, uh, the economic forecaster mm. tool on the terminal, right, broad consensus has, you know, a second half recession for the U.S., um, you know. Uh, you know, rates are obviously really critical in terms of what's going to happen in total returns, especially to investment grade, but even so uh, in terms of high yield. Uh, you know, I look for the front end, obviously, to sort of hold in because I don't think the Fed necessarily pivots over to a cut unless you get a really severe uh, drawdown in the broader economy. Uh, and then secondarily, I, I actually personally think that the front end comes up a little steeper because it still needs a little reprice for that Fed behavior. What happens longer out the curve, I, I mean, I just, that's a little bit beyond my mm-hmm. <laughs> speculatory thing. But I would say, you know, if I added 25 to 40 basis points on top of Ira's forecast in terms of where he sees the 10-year, that probably puts me in right about the right spot, right? I wouldn't be surprised to see us sort of mid to high 3% on the 10-year Um Because I just, uh, you know, again, I I guess I'm a little bit less sanguine about the pace of erosion at this point for inflation. I do think there's actually sort of a deflationary wave that comes, but I think it's probably, you know, 18 to 24 months out.
1: Mm. What we've seen in Europe is uh, the bund, surprisingly, this year has been quite well behaved. Uh, We are at compared to the beginning of the year. uh, Break events are flat. Real yields are flat. And hence, nominal yields are flat. So, as a result, quite a bit of uh, what credit has done is the curve and spread. Mm-hmm. Now, on the curve part, particularly on the credit curve part, what has happened is you know because we have these supply issues, unlike you guys, we haven't had supplies dying down as we talk.
0: Well that may be a good thing, right? And from the standpoint of if you're talking about the ECB that's gonna start sort of not reinvesting. Correct. Right, sort of having that less competitive Correct. <laughs> supply might be so, a good thing. So
1: return-wise it is great, but from a market liquidity and uh, you know dynamics perspective, mm-hmm. it is not great, particularly high yield. Uh the index shrank by more than thirty billion last year, and this year it is shrunk mm-hmm. by another fifteen billion. That is not a good thing. I mean,
0: is some of that just rising stars or is that just some, that is, net some of that is
1: some of that is rising stars. So out of the 45 that we've lost till now, uh, you can blame some eight, 10 billion on that. The remaining yeah. 36 is not it's just you know, maturities and, maturities and calls. Yep. At the beginning, there were some calls. Now there are no calls. So <laughs> what has happened is because of that, credit beyond the. The 7 to 10 year and beyond hasn't had much supply, negative supply. And as a result, you're seeing most of the net supply in the front part of it. And as a result, front-end uh, European credit is actually very wide to the long end. It's not like people are going gung-ho and buying front-end, but the dynamic is so that, especially with the ECB not getting involved, is you got a lot, lot of roll-down into the front portion of yep. European credit. And as a result front end looks very wide credit yeah. credit wise yeah, yeah. Uh, and if the view is that you know we are going to be in this model through environment i can't see the bond doing uh, you know anything not like 2022 uh, so it will be once again you know the curve steepening and uh, you know spread uh, playing out for the rest of the year less so from rates
0: I'm not sure what image actually flashed through my head when you said, I, I can't envision credit being naughty, but um, you know <laughs> we'll leave yeah. that for maybe a different kind of podcast. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? So, I mean, up until maybe the last two weeks, supply on the U.S. side had sort of been in line with my my expectations in terms of stronger, much stronger environment and high yield where we're up 20 or 30% year to date in investment grade. had really started to cool down relative to the year ago pace. But now over the last two weeks, as companies have gotten really nervous in front of the debt ceiling and how that gets resolved, you've seen a lot of people just push through market, just given the uncertainty and saying, like, you know what, let's just lock it down now because we don't know where it's right. going. Um, and so we've actually seen a little bit of a pickup, particularly on the investment grade side uh, relative to where I thought we'd be. And high yield has been pretty continuous, but it's starting to get a little bit soft uh, at the margins or perhaps not.
1: Yeah, no, ours is the totally different story. Uh, We are not getting enough issuance to even replace, but if that's particularly in high yield investment grade, you know, about 10 billion, it used to be Uh, April was a a shocker. We had a minus 16 uh, month net supply Uh, may has been okay. It is positive, but it's not like, like you guys.
0: Well, you brought up sort of private, and I know that's probably maybe an area that we're going to, but but I guess maybe is, it, is that a migration issue? Are people heading into loans or are they heading into private? Is it just, is it just sort of like the, the flow is there, but it's just kind of moving into different areas of the market? That, no. no. It's no. just not it's, their period. Yeah,
1: it's just not their period. Uh, you know, it's a, culturally as well, the European investors don't like, you know, debt binging to do, you know, share buybacks dividend recaps, <laughs> you know, this sort of this sort of stuff doesn't get done here. So we don't get all those sort of not so desirable issuance, yeah. which you guys get a load of, for example. So that that essentially pulls down the supply numbers. It's not like it, everything is going private. I mean, there is some private. I mean, it's yeah. very difficult to track that, but uh, it's just lack of activity. Yeah. So that brings us to the I mean, given the uh, time. The one uh, another point of divergence is this default take up in uh, the US. I mean, there have been days supposedly where we have we've had like six, seven, eight sort of numbers (laughs) Uh, shed light on this because I'm being harassed by news and clients like, oh, look, there's a default wave. Yeah, but that's in the US. Hello? Not here. So that said, shed some light on that. Both sides.
0: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think in the US, as you mentioned, I mean, I think we've definitely a couple of weekends ago, we had a number of companies roll in. Right. And I guess I sort of stratify uh, numerically. We're running pretty hot um, and, and we're running reasonably hot relative to the broader index as well. Right. But it's like a lot of these companies are either loan level issuers or, or maybe they don't have any debt at all. They're just companies that ran into cash flow issues in their filing. So, so it's kind of an all comers type of environment. Uh, it's not terribly surprising, given a lot of these players were sort of dependent on, you know, floating rate issuance and you just, you know, you get to a, a mixed economy and <laughs> your cost of borrowing just went up by 400 basis points or whatever else uh, on a maybe an LBO deal that was already struck at a relatively high leverage number. So not surprising to see the volumes. Uh, you know, we came into the year like at the end of last year, we we're running at about 1% relative to the, the LF98 or the Bloomberg High Yield Index. Um and our view for this year is that we get up to 4% and that we'd actually see this sort of default wave continue into 2024, where we could get as high as 8%, maybe a little bit more even.
1: So this is default seen within the index as a ratio of part of the index?
0: Correct. And right. historically, while we, we've got uh, less complete data on the loan side, typically high yield and loan markets tend to move together. I know there's been a lot of commentary out there in terms of people expecting loans to be a little bit worse, part of that being that floating rate exposure, et cetera. Um, And I think right now they're running maybe a little bit ahead, at least some of the last data that I saw, a little bit ahead of where corporates are more broadly, but we're getting close to about 2% right now uh, for corporates in the US. And again, that's something we look to continue, because I think one of the things that we had really seen over recent years, as obviously money was readily available and and that sort of stuff, is that you saw a lot more out-of-court restructuring activity, right? Because people are able to do some financial engineering, restructure the note or, you know, piece up the note and send out a little equity or do something like that to sort of keep the company out of courts because, you know, the courts tend to bleed a lot of value out uh, through the legal part of it. Uh, That is less the case now. Uh, But what you also see is when people are going to the courts, you know, it's not always, but but as often as not, it seems, at least recently, it's sort of like an end of life situation, right? Like, Mm. there's nothing left, right? So companies like a Bed Bath & Beyond, had done pretty much everything they could do out of court. So by the time you get into the court system, you know, it's a liquidation event and, you know, who knows how much is going to be there. So, uh, you know, I do, because of the weaker macro environment, et cetera, you know, we do see, again, sort of defaults remaining a, a very prominent theme uh, over the next couple of quarters, next three to five quarters, um, you know, and, and so, you know, that's just going to, you know, kind of part of where we are. Mm.
1: So... For, for the benefit of our listeners, there's a huge contrast here. We haven't seen any ma- massive wave in Europe. There have been two credits till now, this year, uh, within the index that have sort of... Uh, Excluding you know, credit space. I mean, credit space <laughs> doesn't count, right? So, uh, so within the high yield index, we've got two names wave which had a, a coupon payment uh, issue. So, if you count them, I mean, we are looking at... You know, 0.1%. Uh, in terms of potential future uh, dominoes to fall, if you look at uh, uh, issuers rated triple C minus and below, there's just four of them. Uh, if, if assuming all four of them default, uh, we are looking at like a 0.3% default rate. Yeah. Now, just for some perspective, the pandemic high uh, default rate was 1.8% of the index. And I can't see the world shutting down and I can't see uh, the numbers getting to even the pandemic number. So it will probably peak like one, one point two percent here in Europe.
0: Well, what about other cycles? Right. Because the pandemic was very exceptional in nature. Yeah. Right. So and if I think about it, even non-recessionary, so if you're saying we're, we're not going into recession here in Europe and I think about like non-recessionary waves in the mm. U.S., you had. 14, 15 into the early part of 16, where you had retail and energy, that was really problematic. And I want to say that off the top of my head, the default rate got north of 8, 8.5%, eight somewhere around there. Uh, and then you had 2018, where you had sort of a smaller wave, uh, again, sort of energy led. And obviously, the U.S. has a lot more energy exposure. Mm. Here um, we have
1: almost next to nothing.
0: Yeah. So, but did you guys, have you had sort of like these intermediate cycles where, where you kind of ticked up or or is that just, it's just because the market's so small that the issuers that are there tend to...
1: Yeah. The thing is, you know, uh, in terms of disintermediation, particularly in the lower rated spectrum, uh, Europe functions very differently, right? Uh, all these loans are bank-led, not, uh, not bond-led. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you tend not to get so many of these hairy credits in, uh, in the, the indices, in yeah. the indices, so that's the that's one that's one key reason, and two, uh, given that European investors don't encourage some of the you know structures that you get to see in US, uh, we've had the, the the numbers you mentioned. We've had blips like that, yep. uh, you know. You also need to differentiate from, let's say, Moody's series or an SP series versus the index series.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
1: and once you take that into account, you know, we have seen only two-ish sort of default rates. For like a bumper number, you need to go to the Eurozone crisis and then to the GFC, yep. right? Uh, so... In in terms well, of future,
0: well, what about distress? Though, like before you go into the future, I know you're eager to yeah, wrap. Yeah, about some, to. You're, you're eager to I'm wrap I'm about to mention distress. But but what about distress? I mean, so yeah. I mean, if your market doesn't experience defaults, does it? Uh, do you think you're overpricing risk, or or is, do you think the spreads? Are so sort of...
1: to hit the nail on the distress story. So how much of the market is trust and distrust? You know, we track it monthly. Uh, our audience can see it in the high yield monthly that we publish. Uh, the stress ratio is about 12 and a half, 13. The distress ratio is around four. Stress being 60 to 80 and distress being under 60. So... In terms of bond pricing. In terms of bond pricing. So in the four, even if you assume like in a, you know, that, that what percentage of that defaults in the next year it tends to be very cyclical. So even if you assume a third of it defaults, we are talking about 1.3%, which is in my ballpark, <laughs> Right. Uh, so I really can't see these, uh, you know, an about 2% rate in the bond world is not happening in loans is a different story though, tend to be a more, uh, you know, more leverage kind of credits. Uh, you know, you tend to have a lot more corporate issues in the bond market.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the loan market is heavily LBO, right? Yep. So as a result there, you can have a higher default rate there. I can easily see a two and a half. Uh, The bond side, it's very difficult to see more than like a 1.3, (laughs) 1.4. So uh, as a closing note, so for the rest of the year,
0: what sort of returns do you see? Negative 100%. No. Um, Yeah, no, I think it's interesting, right? Because uh, I I mean, I haven't really moved off of my targets entering the year. So coming in the year on the high yield side, I was zero to 4% in terms of total returns. Um, just looking for a little bit of lift from the rate side, but then, a, a, you know, obviously an offset from, from spread uh, widening as well as a little bit of a uptick in defaults. And I think we've pretty much seen everything that I'm looking to see there. I think we're, you know, we're sort of in the middle of that zero to 4% range right now uh, as we're, you know, obviously at the end of May here. Uh, so, so I think that target still looks pretty good to me. Uh, investment grade, uh, you know, we've given a little bit back, and so we're now inside of at least last I checked, we're inside of three percent year to date. I guess if you prorate it for the rest of the year, we probably end up still within my target of sort of mid to high single digits, call it six to nine percent, uh, which again I think is is still where I'd look to be there. I, you know, we're at 140ish on spread right now. I would look for that to push out to 160, so your excess returns end up being kind of neutral on the year. But flip side. We do get a little back from Treasuries, so you know. Again, I mean, versus where I was coming into the year, I, I really haven't changed uh, anything there. I think you know, you never know how the year is going to play out, right? Uh, but I, I I think if if you give it a very loose boundary, it's kind of going along as as I sort of thought it may, right? Mm. So
1: I mean, uh, to talk about the European view. Uh, probably we haven't been bullish enough, uh, so. I'm which the, is surprising for which you. Which is surprising, <laughs> isn't it? Exactly. So we did have a carry plus uh, view. Uh, but I think once again, uh, you know, we always seem to get the direction right. But the magnitudes tend to be uh, less, whether it is negative or positive every year. Uh, so this this year we are running... So my yearly forecasts are already like 70-75% there, both IG and high yield. Uh, and I'm thinking from for the rest of the year it is going to be slightly carry negative but given where we are it's going to be pretty good numbers so yeah. investment grade is of, you know about 4.2 4.3 yield i mean investment grade flows are pretty solid now i mean european investment grade is not as disintermediated as uh, us for example because you got all these forced investments from insurers pension funds bank treasuries here Uh, But in the trackable universe, investment grade is gaining quite a bit of fund flows. And uh, I think that should stay. Uh, On the high yield side, it pays 8% plus now. We pay more than you guys. I mean, and it's a better rated index.
0: Oh, I don't know. We're we're almost nine now. So, but, um, you know, but one of the things I always, you know. And
1: we are like 60% of your duration, if that, right? Well, uh, much shorter index so uh even in high yield you know especially given that i don't see this uh, default wave, uh yeah. a slightly carry negative so for the remainder of the year a four percent is is a decent likelihood
0: that'll be interesting to see how that plays out
1: yep so on that note uh Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for, uh, you know, for patiently listening to this podcast.
0: And <laughs> hopefully it wasn't patience that got them through. Hopefully <laughs> they were just so engaged by the material. <laughs> uh, one key takeaway for you guys is I want you
1: guys to uh, please visit our dashboards. BISTRTE for Credit Strategy Europe and BISTRTN for Credit Strategy uh, US. And you've got all our research and all the data that we mentioned everything available for download and for your own analysis in addition to the, of course reading the research uh, thank you all and we will be back to you back with you uh, at the beginning of next month with our next credit crunch podcast thank you all